And so we're going to continue on with our, um, our series that we've been doing, uh, Cross My Heart. We've got the last week we're going to do, we're going to finish it up today. And um, I don't know about you, but, but, you know, as I've been teaching this and studying this for myself, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm going, you know, Lord, I'm not quite there yet either. You know, I'm looking at it saying that there's things in my heart that I'm not happy with. And if I'm not happy with them, I know God's not happy with them. You know, and, and, and that's not to say that we need to stand in condemnation of ourselves constantly. But it's this understanding that we need to recognize that God will always want to do more in our heart. Amen. God is wanting us to grow. He doesn't want us to stay the same. Amen. He wants us to be changed. He wants us to be made into His image. The Bible says, from glory to glory, He's changing me. Or maybe that's a song. I don't know. But the idea behind it is, is that we need to be continually growing. right? You think about a child. You think about, say, little Billy over there. You know, We've seen him change in the last three months. And when he's a little baby, we, we love him and he's cute and that's great and we're very happy. But if he was still the same size with the same behavior three years from now, there would be a problem. Amen. It's the same thing with our Christian walk with God. If, if we are the same three years from now as what we are today, there's a problem. We're not growing. There's got to be growth. There's got to be change. And, and this series has been focused on really helping to identify those issues in our heart that prevent us from growing. Someone say, praise the Lord. So we're going to finish up today talking about the last one of our four factors that we've been talking about. And, and for the sake of just going over it again, every one of them causes an imbalance in our hearts through this idea of a debt-debtor relationship. You know, we've spoken about this where, you know, if you run in on the street to someone who owes you money, right? It's kind of awkward because you want to say, hey, where's my money? And they don't want you to ask about the money, but they don't have the money. And it's just, you know, you just kind of, hey, how are you? How's the weather like? You know, it's just a bit awkward, isn't it? It's like, we would call it like an elephant in the room. It's, it's awkward, right? And, and, and the problem when we think spiritually now is that often we try and, and treat the symptoms that stem from an unhealthy heart but we ignore the deeper issues. And, and much the same way as with a physical heart problem, eventually the root cause will become the primary problem that you're facing with. Amen. And so and just like a, a, a physical heart attack has the potential to destroy your body, a spiritual heart disease has the potential to destroy all of your relationships, to cause havoc and problems, not, not only in the church, but with your family, with your workplaces, in your schools, amen? And so over time, our heart becomes less sensitive to these things, you know, because let's face it, life is hard on the heart, amen? The world is full of outside influences that have the power to disrupt our spiritual heart's rhythm. And, and at the end of the day, because we build these walls up and we refuse to allow God into our heart to deal with the root problem, eventually we just become insensitive to it. And our heart gets out of rhythm. And, and if we leave them alone, this is the danger. We leave these things alone. We don't, we don't poke the greed that's in our heart. We don't, we don't ask God to remove the guilt. We don't ask God to deal with the anger. And then all of a sudden, these things linger for a lifetime. And they do a lifetime worth of damage to ourselves, 
to our relationship with God, to our relationship with one another. Amen. Amen. We spoke about this in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. Um, a few weeks ago, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Amen. Our, our heart deceives us. It's sick. Amen. Amen. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, he says, For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Amen. He also says in verse 18, so I should have read the verse before. It says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. You know, so, so in other words, what we're saying is that the, the, the mouth is a stethoscope to listen to the heart. Right, because your mouth can't help itself. And we, we put these sophisticated filters in place to try and monitor our behavior. But every now and then, the filter fails, doesn't it? And you say something that you regret instantly because what is in the heart has not been dealt with. And we're tempted to think, well, I just need to work on the filter a bit more. I just need to make sure I don't slip up. But the reality is we need to be working on the heart. The heart is where... The problem is, amen, every, every problem, every sin, everything, it starts in the heart, amen? Of course, the other problem with having spiritual heart issues is that spiritual heart issues make intimacy difficult to maintain because intimacy revolves around knowing and being known. Now, of course, we think about this in terms of a, a marriage relationship, right? If a husband and a wife are holding secrets from each other, that, that marriage is never going to last, but then think about it spiritually. How often do we come to God? And this is the funny thing. right? We come to God and we try and hide the condition of our heart. And then we wonder why we're not close to God. I mean, here's the thing. God already knows our heart. That's the funny thing about it. You know, we, we like to think, well, you know, I can just hide it under a, a show of, you know, lifting my hands at the right time and clapping my hands to the right beat and singing all the words. But in the meantime, God is like, whoa, whoa, hang on. We're not close. There's a problem with your heart that's keeping us apart. Let me fix that. We're like, no, God, no, God, it's all good. It's under control. You don't need to worry about that, Lord. Let me just sing another song. Hello? These secrets build walls. And if we let them, they build walls in all of our relationships. Between husband and wife. Between kids and parents. Between God and you. These walls, amen. And... And so, you know, we've kind of asked this question several times over this series, and I'm going to ask it again. How are things with your heart? You know, when you meet someone in the street you haven't seen for a first time, for, for a long time rather, you know, you, you like to say, so how's your career going? How's your family? You bought that house yet? How's the new car going? You know, we, we focus on things that are on the outside, Right, but, but God doesn't want to know how your career is going. He doesn't want to know what your reputation's like. He doesn't want to know about what your finances are like. Your heart is what's important. And it's a real awkward question when God starts poking around in our hearts, amen, saying, you've got this problem, and I need you to fix this for me, amen. Someone say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So our key verse, the one that I've read several times over this, uh, this last four or five weeks, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And that word keep there means to guard, 
To say it another way, you could say it like this. Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything that you do. Everything. Everyone say everything. So over the last few weeks, here's the thing we've talked about. We've been talking about code blue, guilt. And guilt says that I owe you. I made a mistake. I, I sinned. I, I, I offended you. I was, I was the problem. I owe you. And to, to, to deal with guilt in your life, the only cure for that is confession. You go to the person, you go say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. You know, I was out of line. I was wrong. You know, that requires you to be humble. It's not easy sometimes, is it? Code blue, guilt. The next one we talked about back in week three was code red, and that's anger. Everyone say anger. Whereas guilt says, I owe you, anger says, you owe me. You offended me. You upset me. You did things to me that were not right. And, and so often we hold on to these things for so long and for so many years, and we refuse to let them go. And we refuse to forgive. And forgiveness is the only way you can get rid of anger in your heart. Amen. And so often we worry about why did we have the anger in the first place when really it's the wrong question we, to, to ask ourselves. You know, think about it like this is the example we used. If you go to the doctor and the doctor sits you down and says, look, I'm, I'm very sorry. I'm terribly sorry. I've got bad news for you. You've got cancer. You're not interested in knowing how you got the cancer. You don't sit there and go, well, I wonder how I got that. Was it because I was living next to power lines? Was it because, you know, I had a mobile phone in my pocket for the first 20 years of my life? No. What you want to know is, how do I get rid of it? That's the question you want to ask. It's the same thing with anger. When we get anger in our heart because someone's offended us, we don't have to stop and go, well, hang on. Why did they offend me? How did they offend me? How dare they do that? What's going on? No, you want to ask, how do I get rid of the anger? I don't want to hold on to this anymore. And forgiveness is the answer to that. That was week three. Last week, we spoke about code yellow, and that is greed. Everyone say greed. Guilt says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. But greed says, I owe me. I deserve this. I've earned this. This is my right. This is the, I've worked hard to get this. You know, that's, that's, that's greed. And it's so tempting because we live in a society, in a culture, in a day, in an age where, where greed is good. It's disguised as a virtue. And, and we're told that it's okay to try and accumulate stuff and get more stuff and build stuff up. And, 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 but the problem with that is that's not God's way. And so the only way you can cure greed from your heart is through giving. Amen. And today we're going to talk about the final one. Everyone say, code green. We're going to talk about jealousy. Jealousy. Everyone say, jealousy. Jealousy? Really? Jealousy just happens in kids, right? That's not true. The difference is, is that adults have a sophisticated filter, and they refuse to admit it. Jealousy. Because let's face it, you know, if, if you were to go to someone and admit that you were jealous... Somebody would just say, grow up. You know what I mean? Someone would say, get over it. You know what? Deal with it. If you want that, go work hard. You can get it too. Right? So we don't admit it, but we hide it in our heart and we think about it. We meditate it and it gets its claws into our heart and begins to grow. Can you be brave this morning and just admit to yourself that there are people you don't like because they are ahead of you in some way? 
When you see them, you immediately think of all the things that you lack. Looks. Intelligence. Man, I look at my brother. He's got a full head of hair. I'm getting thinner and thinner and thinner up here. It's just not fair. Jealousy. <laughs> I know he listens to the podcast. So he's probably going to have a laugh at this. <laughs> Looks, intelligence, skills. <clears throat> a nicer car. A better job. A bigger house. Good health. Good height and build. You know what? I've got this problem. Everything that was up here seems to be slipping down here. You know, I need to get back into the gym a bit more. <laughs> Opportunities, friends, the, the, list goes, the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? But in your mind, this is what you say to yourself. You say, it's not fair. But here's the thing. What you really mean and what you really want is not fair. What you actually want is more. Because here's the thing. Imagine if you were praying and you say, God, this is not fair. How come I don't have that? I want that. I've been living for you. I've been faithful. And God suddenly said, okay, I'm going to make everything in the world fair. Let me tell you, everybody in this room would be substantially worse off if God suddenly made everything fair. So we don't actually want God to make things fair, do we? No, we want God to give us more. As long as I've got more than Brother Attic, I'm okay, right? But if someone else has more than me and I look at Brother Attic and go, well, I'm looking pretty good. I've got everything. He doesn't have it. Look, have you seen his car? Look at my car. My car's newer, right? And then all of a sudden, someone else shows up to church and they've got a nicer car than me. Well, I'm not happy. Even though I'm still better than him, I want better than them, right? I don't want fair. I just want more. I just want more. But having more doesn't resolve the problem anyway. Because jealousy is a heart issue. It's not a people issue. Think about it. The person who has more than you, they're not your problem. Because they can't fix your problem, amen. In fact, the only thing that others can do to possibly make you feel better is for them to fail. And that reversal makes you feel better for a moment. But all it actually does is magnify that you have a problem. Someone say amen. amen. Here's the thing. People that cause jealousy to surface in you are just a reflection of your problem. And you say, oh, that's just so petty. That's so immature. Absolutely it is. And you say, I shouldn't feel like that. What does that indicate? That indicates a heart problem. Let's, have a, let's, have, let's try something here this morning. Who can I pick on? Sister Neil, I'm going to pick on you. Are you able to hand Billy over and come up the front for me? Who else can I choose? Um, let's choose Sister Linda. And let's choose Willie. I saw Willie here. Willie, you three come up the front for me. Come on. I'm going to give you a gift. Do you like getting gifts? Look at that. Willie, you stand there for me. Sister Linda, you stand there. Sister Neeler, you stand there for me. I'm going to give you a gift. Willie, no, I might give this to Sister Linda. I got a gift for you. It's a beautiful apple. I washed it myself, cleaned it off. I hope you enjoy that. Stay there. 
I've got another gift here. I'm going to give this gift to Willie. Look at this, Willie. Big block of chocolate. And you know what? You don't have to share it with anybody unless you want to. Because I saw all your brothers. I didn't. I heard their eyes go, whoa. Right? I got one more gift. Stay there. I got one more gift I want to give to Sister Neeler. Here you go, Sister Neeler. It's a gift card for $100. There you go. You can spend that anywhere you want to spend that. Anywhere FPOS is accepted. You can spend that. $100. Now just stay there, everyone. Now, what's just happened here? Did Sister Linda like her apple? Sure she did. Maybe, maybe not. She probably liked it until she saw the chocolate block, right? And Willie was really, really happy with his chocolate block. And then he saw the $100 gift voucher I just gave to Sister Neeler. And he thought, man, I could have bought 10 chocolate blocks with that. Here's the problem. Your problem is, I didn't pick you. You're sitting there thinking, why didn't Pastor pick me? Man, I could have got $100. See, your problem is not with any of these people, is it? No, your problem's with me. Because I didn't pick you. Amen? I didn't pick you. And, and, and Willie doesn't have a problem with Sister Neeler. And Sister Linda doesn't have a problem with these two. And I'm not saying she does. But she has a problem with me. I'm not even pretending to be fair. I didn't even think and go, okay, give, everyone give me a statement of assets and liabilities. Show me what you got. Who's struggling the most? I'll give them the hundred. No, I've just gone, I'm going to give it to Neela. I'm not even pretending to be fair. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. Your problem is with me. No, that's yours. You keep it. It's a gift. See, she thinks I'm joking. It's a gift. It's yours. Take it. Here's the thing. It's not fair. I'm not even pretending to be fair. I'm not giving away fair gifts, am I? I'm just giving away gifts because I'm a nice person. Amen. And here's the thing. God never claimed to be fair either. And as a matter of fact, fairness disappeared after the fall in the Garden of Eden. God just does what he wants to do. We can't control God. We can't tell God what he can and what he can't do. God just does whatever he decides to do. Amen. And in in the book of Daniel in chapter 4, there's an interesting story here. Judgment's pronounced on King Nebuchadnezzar because he doesn't get it. Look at this. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 32. God speaks to Daniel, and, sorry, so to Nebuchadnezzar and says, You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals and you will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign. Everyone say sovereign. Over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And after seven years of degradation, seven years of, of eating grass, basically, living out in the fields, Nebuchadnezzar says this, All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Yes, God could have fixed it. Yes, I could have come in here with $100 gift cards for everyone, but I chose not to. That's my prerogative. Yes, God could make things fair for you. Yes, God could give you more. But if he doesn't, that's up to him. That's not up to us. That's up to him. Amen. Yes, he could have remedied all the inequities in your life. And we all have them. If God hadn't messed up, we would be so much more better off than what we are. What in the world was God thinking? Hello? 
And that jealousy might register to us as a sin that we should confess, but it seldom registers in our mind as a grudge that we hold against God himself. Why has God blessed that person and not me? Why has God given them that and not me? You know, they were out of a job for two weeks and God gave them a job. I've been out of a job for six months. Why is that? That's not fair, God. Why won't you answer my prayer? And, and, and we begin to hold this grudge. And, and here's the thing. When we are jealous, here's what we think. We think God owes me. That's what jealousy is. But here's the thing. How could God owe us anything? As a matter of fact, really, we owe God everything, don't we? And here's the thing. This is why jealousy is so easily misdirected and so hard to root out. Because my problem is with my creator, not with the people around me. When I get upset because someone's got a better car than me and someone's got a better house, I don't have a problem with that person as much as I try and disguise that I do. I have a problem with God. That's my problem. And we hide it and we bury it and we layer it and it gets misdirected. And that's why it is so hard to dig out of our hearts. Amen. But the reality is, is that problem will surface eventually. It will surface eventually in our relationships, in, in the people that we interact with, in our homes, in our work, at our church, at our school. Amen. And as long as that jealousy rages unchecked in your heart, no relationship that you have is safe. Jealousy has been around for a long time. Think about it. Cain and Abel. The source of that was jealousy. But his grudge was not against Abel. His grudge was against God. Why didn't God accept my offering? And it manifested itself in his attack against his brother. But his grudge, his anger was against God. The jealousy was there because he thinked, he thought, sorry, that God owed him. Esau and Jacob. Why did God give me a brother like Jacob? That's what's going on. Yeah, sure, Jacob stole it. Yeah, sure, he's jealous of his brother. But his grudge is against God. His anger is against the Creator. Amen. Joseph and his brothers. Joseph didn't ask to have the dreams. Joseph didn't ask to be picked. God picked him and said, that's it. I'm going to anoint you. Here's your life plan. You're going to go to Egypt. You're going to become the prime minister. And, and, and perhaps Joseph could have been a little wiser in not sharing some of the things God was giving to him. But the brothers were holding a grudge against God. But they were taking it out on Joseph. Why? Because we understand in, in somewhere in, in our rational mind, we understand that we... Why would I hold anything against God? He's done so much for me. So it must be that person's fault. It must be them. And we think our problem is with them. But the root of it is, our problem is against God. Amen? And maybe you. Have you ever derived secret pleasure from watching a, a rival, quote unquote, suffer a setback? You know, you see someone lose out, miss out. And somewhere deep inside your heart, there's a moment where you're like, <laughs> yes. And almost as soon as it happens, you're like, oh, that's not right. It's jealousy. And it's beginning to surface in your heart. So what is the cause of conflicts this morning? James chapter 4. In verse 1, James asks the very same question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? 
What causes this? What causes us to not like it when someone else is promoted above us? What causes us to not like it when, when someone is blessed and we're not? What causes that? Here it is. Don't they come from desires that battle within you? There is one cause for all relational conflicts. Our desires. Everyone say our desires. External conflicts are simply the result of our own internal conflicts that spill over. That's why we hurt the ones we love the most. Because we're spending more time with them. They're in close proximity to us. And so we, we, because we spend more time, when that, when that filter fails, they're the ones that bear the brunt of it. Amen? But here's the thing. Think about all the conflicts you've had with people throughout your life. You want to know who the common denominator is? The one thing that's common amongst them all? You. You are. You're the one common denominator in all the conflicts you've had. Whether there were conflicts in school with other schoolmates, conflicts with your teacher, conflicts with your boss, conflicts with your spouse, you are the common denominator. Amen. Verse 2 of James chapter 4. James goes on. He says, you want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And that is the source of every conflict. I'm not getting my way. That's the reality. To covet means to hotly pursue something. And it's a, a word picture of someone who is constantly trying to meet a need that can never seem to be met. Think about this. An appetite by its very nature, can never be fully and finally satisfied. Amen? Who ate breakfast this morning? Right? Guess what? You're going to be hungry again soon. Doesn't matter how much you eat, at some point in your life, you're going to be hungry again. Why? It's an appetite. It's going to keep coming back. It's going to keep coming back. It's going to keep coming back. And human beings have many unquenchable thirsts. Stuff. Money. Recognition, success, progress, happiness, intimacy, sex even, relationships, partnerships, friendships, fun, accomplishment. We can never get enough of this stuff. We always want more. Amen. C.S. Lewis said this, appetites grow through indulgence, not neglect. Think about that. Gluttons think about food just as much as starving people do. Amen? In other words, the more you feed an appetite, the more that it escalates in intensity. So we still haven't answered the question, so what is conflict? Conflict is this. It's when someone is trying to satisfy their desires and their appetites in a way that conflicts with my desires and my appetites. That's where conflict comes. And until I can own up to my share of the problem, I will always blame somebody else because I'm not getting my way. Blame is an admission that I can't be happy without your cooperation. Amen. To blame is to acknowledge dependence. I hope I'm not going too fast this morning. But to blame is to acknowledge dependence. If you don't act in a certain way, I can't be happy. 
You know, and, and this is why conflict happens, because we, we walk through life with this, this jealousy against everybody else around us and ultimately traced back to God. And we can't be happy unless other people are either failing or helping us get ahead. Even if it's to their detriment. This is where jealousy begins to grow and begins to take root. Amen. And so what happens is, is that we can't be happy. Unless we are controlling everybody in our life. Unless every single person that we ever interact with operates and and works in such a way that helps us only. We can never be happy. Amen. And, And think about just how silly that sounds. To try and control everybody you run into. To act in a certain way so that you're happy. Regardless of how they feel. That's where jealousy comes from. And so what happens is we are trying to squeeze our happiness out of other people. And meanwhile, they're trying to squeeze happiness out of everybody around them, including you. And so there's conflict. And eventually everyone suffocates. So what do we do with our desires? What do we do with these things? We have to take them to God who created them in the first place. James says it. You have not because you ask God. You do not ask God. God. Amen. James is not telling us to pray that God will change somebody. Oh, dear God. Change them, Lord. I'm okay. I'm good. But, you know, just change Brother Radic, Lord. Just can't take it anymore. James is not saying that's what we need to do. Amen. He's saying that we need to bring our deepest desires, our hurts, our feelings of unfairness, our unmet needs, we have to bring them to God. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Here's the thing. If it is important to you, it's important to God because He cares for us. Tell Him about it. But I think God owes me. God owes me this blessing. God, tell Him that. God, you owe me. He won't mind. He already knows what you're thinking and feeling anyway. I've learned it's best just to be honest with God. Just tell him, God, I'm struggling with this. This is not fair. You know, most of you know our story, you know, with, with, with Jonathan. You know, the doctors said we couldn't have, have kids. And, and we'd prayed for many, many, many years to have kids. It must have been, what, dial six years or something, five years? For a long time, a long time. And I'd get down on my knees, God, this is not fair And, you know, I'd start listing all my accomplishments. God, I've lived in Vanuatu for 12 months to help out here. I've taught young people. I've preached your word. I've given faithfully. I've paid my tithes. I've put money in the offering. I've done this. It's not fair, God. Eventually, God answered the prayer in his time when he was ready. But see, God does not sit there and go, don't you talk to me like that, boy. He already knows what's in your heart. He already knows what's going on. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. Amen. You're laughing at my words I use. It's all right. I forgive you. I release the debt. See, forgiveness. See what I did there? (laughs) Amen. When you ask, verse 3 of James chapter 4, you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. Here's the thing. I don't mind if you get angry at God. I don't mind if you tell God it's not fair. I don't mind if you bring your requests to God. Say, God, I'm really struggling with this. What's going on? 
Just be prepared for God to say, no, not yet. It's not happening yet. Because God knows what we need. Before we even know we have need of it, amen. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variables, neither shadow of turning. Think about it like this. Put your hands up if you're a parent here today. Right? Do you give, let, let's, let's do sister, but do you give Sam everything he ever asked for? Of course not. You know, Jonathan comes to me. He came to me this morning. Uh, Jonathan, what would you like for breakfast? Do you want some Cheerios? No. What do you want? Marshmallows. Jonathan, you can't have marshmallows for breakfast. It's not good for you. But think about it. That's kind of a funny example. But if as parents we gave our kid everything they ever asked for, what kind of children would we have? Hello? As a parent, we know that there are times we have to say no. And as our Heavenly Father... God knows that there are times in our life when we come to Him and we're bitter and we're angry and we're grumpy and we're upset and it's not fair, God. He still knows that sometimes, as our parent, it's best to go, no. No, you're not having that. You cannot have that. It's not good for you. Every good and every perfect gift. See, God is the source of all good things, not the source of all things wished for. Man, if God was the source of all things wished for, we'd have a jolly 2,000 square meter auditorium already. I've wished for it and prayed for it and asked for it, begged for it, got angry with him. Like, go on, God, we're growing. But he said, no yet. It's coming. I believe it's coming. It is coming. But it's not here yet. Why? I don't know. Talk to God. I'm talking to him. Help me out. Ask him what's going on. Amen. Hello. He is the source of all good things, not all things wished for. Jealousy is dangerous because while it is a grudge against God, it shapes our attitudes towards other people. When they have done absolutely nothing except pull ahead of us in a race that they're not even aware that they're in. You see what I mean? They've done nothing to warrant us being jealous except get ahead of us in some way when they weren't even aware that there was a race happening. They weren't even aware there was some competition going on. Amen. And then the thing is with jealousy is that as you, as you leave it in your heart and as you begin to not get rid of it, it begins to turn into resentment. And you begin to resent that person. And you begin to resent that person. And then you begin to resent God. This is not fair, God. And it, and it, 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 it doesn't move. So, so who do you secretly resent? What category of people do you dislike in your heart of hearts? Can you see it? Here's the thing. They're not your problem. They are merely a reflection of what is going on in your heart, what originated in your heart, what came out of your heart. They're just reflecting it back to you. Amen? And so we have to pour out our heart to God. Say it to God. God, you owe me. But then I challenge you. Go back and read the New Testament and tell me who owes who again. Amen? Amen? Who owes who? There's only one cure for jealousy. Why don't we all stand this morning? We're going to finish up on this. There is only one cure for code green. There is only one cure for jealousy. And that's celebration. 
You have to sincerely celebrate the blessings God has given to others. You know, you get a job and you're really, really happy. You know, let me tell you something. This young man here, he's got a job at McDonald's. I wish I was earning as much as he was earning when I was his age. Man, I got $4.95 an hour. It's ridiculous. It's not fair. But I shouldn't be sitting going, it's not fair. It happened years ago. What I should be doing is celebrating. Like, Man, that's a great job. I'm so excited for you. That's amazing. You know, we need to celebrate when someone gets blessed in the church. Celebrate when someone has a blessing from God. We need to exalt God and say, God, you're good. That's incredible. What an amazing blessing you've given my brother. What an amazing blessing you've given my sister. We have to celebrate. And here's why. Because until we find a way to deal with jealousy, you cannot follow the number one commandment of the Christian life. And that is to love one another. Because love is the opposite of jealousy. You cannot harbor resentment in your heart against someone. And then turn around and say, oh, I love you, brother. No, you don't. You got jealousy in your heart. You got jealousy in your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Very, very common passage. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Think about that. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Doesn't that just sound like the opposite of jealousy? Doesn't it? Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back. But keeps going to the end. So for the last time, as we finish off this series, I'm going to ask you again. How are things with your heart? How are things with your heart? How are things with your heart? Why don't we just close our eyes right now? Let's just talk to the Lord. Hallelujah.